mighty God we serve. Sing hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. You sustained us. You've been with us in our darkest hour or lowest moments. He's remained faithful. And I'd just like to take a few seconds this this evening uh, on behalf of the ministry team. I know that all our ministry, with the exception of me, is a Pruitt or related to the Pruitts. But I want to say thank you for your outpouring of love and support to the family, the Pruitt family and the Butts family during this time. Not only did they suffer loss, but we suffered a loss. We suffered a very special person. And our family, of course, has kind of been more, uh, I would say, acclimated to death as we just had the death of Jessica's brother and then just a few years ago, her dad. So we know what it means to grieve. We know what it means to suffer loss. But we also know the joy of knowing that there's others that love you and that care about you and that show their support, send you a text, call you on the phone, bring you a meal, whatever it is. They're just there. And I tell you, those moments don't go unnoticed. They mean a lot. They mean a lot to the family. They mean a lot to... But this is a great church. And uh, I couldn't see the Pruitt family. I couldn't see the Bud family, my family us serving God anywhere else but right here in Even Light Tabernacle. As we see the times of the ages drawing to a close, I'm glad that we have believers, true, genuine, honest, born-again sons and daughters of God to fight this fight with. You're, we're in a special place, church. Don't take any service for granted. Don't take any brother or sister for granted. God has placed us here together to do battle. And I look around, I see great men of God, I see great sisters and daughters of God. I couldn't dare, wouldn't dare want to fight this battle with anybody else. So now that we've suffered a loss, you know what the next best thing to do is to strap on our boots and be determined to fight. Be determined to fight. We're not going to back down. We're not going to give up. We're not going to give in. We're going to draw our swords and we're going to fight another day because we're going to face another battle. And God's promised to give us another victory. So we just thank the Lord for that. Let us just go to him in prayer this evening. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this church. Not just the building, Lord, the four walls, the fellowship hall, all the other amenities that are here. But, Father, I thank you for each and every person that calls us their home church. I thank you, Lord, for their prayers and their support to the ministry and to the musicians and to what they bring to this local body, Lord. As they begin to pull on the gift of God, God, it's what changes the atmosphere in the service. The ministers only have a part to play, Lord, but it's, the, it's those that are listening. It's those that are pulling. It's us as a collective body. Lord, putting our shoulders to the wheel and, God, and just giving our all for the service of the Lord. So I just ask tonight, God, I ask that you'd put the words in my mouth and you'd put the anointing on their ears to hear exactly what you would have us to say tonight. God, as I looked at this thought several weeks ago and just really didn't see the inspiration or feel the inspiration behind it and set it aside, and Lord, just this week, you rekindled that inspiration. So, Father, we just commit this service to you tonight. We commit every believer here, and Lord, we especially lift up the Pruitt Butts family tonight, Father, knowing that they're still grieving, and we just want them to know, Lord, that they're loved. And they're not in this battle alone. We have all are in this together tonight. But we have a promise. We have a consolation that you said, Lord, you would be there. You'd be with us, even in us, to the very end. So, Father, we're leaning upon you tonight, drawing our strength from you. And we ask that you would bless this service, Lord. And we thank you for this time you've given us. And just ask that you just move in our hearts, move in our lives, speak as you will, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. If you would have your Bibles tonight, we're going to look here in Isaiah 59. <clears throat> Isaiah 59, and we'll start at verse 17 and read through verse 21 collectively. And before we go there, I want to read a scripture out of Isaiah 35. If I was in the back and just nerved up for the service, and you know, you, 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 it falls your lot to come behind such a special lady and a wonderful memorial service just the other day, and you know, you begin to stumble. What do you say to the family? What do you say to the church body after suffering such a great loss? And as I, as I was flipping through and just kind of fell open to this, Isaiah 35 and verse 4 it says, Say to them that are a fearful heart, be strong and fear not. Your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. I don't know about you, but that comforted me because I'm a ball of nerves right now. Just because I know what's, what's to be spoken, I know kind of how I'm going to deliver this. At least I feel it in my spirit. This is not going to be what I would call my typical Banny Rooster, as uh, Sister Karen would call me, running around, running around, running around, but just kind of try to lay the word in there. No, Brother Aaron, I'm not going to teach. We're all uh, relieved tonight. But Isaiah 59 and verse 17, it says, For he... <clears throat> put on, the, on, on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands, he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgressions in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon me, my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and evermore. God bless you. You can have your seats tonight. I just want to take a few moments this evening, and we want to speak to you on the standard has been lifted. We have heard this, and we have quoted this, when the enemy comes in like a flood, like a flood, like a flood, like a flood, God's going to raise a standard, raise a standard, raise a standard. So I just kind of want to look at that tonight, and I'll get to my, my thought later on in this message, but I just want to kind of build it. And coming out of Israel and the church, Brother Brandon will say, no wonder Christianity can't even lift up a standard. It's because, not because Christ is not able, but because the people won't do it. So notice where he's putting the responsibility of lifting the standard. It's not that Christ won't do it. He said the people won't do it. The message is ready. The power of God is sufficient. Men and women are scared to break out yonder into those spheres before God and dare to trust him and take his word. You know, if you go around like Brother Aaron and I in, in different ministries, you go to different churches and you find some churches, they're afraid of the supernatural. They're, they're timid against the, the presence of the Lord, but yet, because they're not, they don't, maybe they don't see it, maybe it's not there in their church often enough, but we find they become scared, and they are scared to reach out into the supernatural, break out yawn into the fears of God, and dare to trust God, dare to say, God, do what your word declares you're going to do. And hold God responsible for his word. All you got to do is remind God of what he said in his word. 
So we find, though, in Isaiah 59 and verse 17, and I love this because it shows what kind of God we serve. He's not a passive God. He's not a dilatory old grandpa sitting back, just going to do nothing, waiting on this. But the Bible says he puts on righteousness as a breastplate. He puts on a helmet of salvation on his head, and he puts on garments of vengeance. God is dressing himself to do battle. Not to do battle for his own benefit, but he is preparing to repay your enemy with fury. He's ready, he's ready to, to repay your adversary that's transgressed you. He's going to pour out recompense upon recompense upon recompense. And we find that the God that we serve is not a passive God, but he's a warrior God. And not only is he a warrior God in heaven, but he's a warrior God for your need, for your situation, for your trial, for the darkness that you're going through. He's a warrior God. And I want you to know tonight, he's got the helmet of salvation on. He's got the breastplate on. But not only that, he's clothed himself in vengeance. He is ready in this hour to pour out upon your adversary and raise the standard against your foe. To lift up the standard against your accuser. Our God is able, he's willing, and he's ready tonight to do battle with your enemy. So we know, but the Bible would tell us when the enemy comes in, a lot of times we get fretful. So what if he comes? How many of you have never faced the enemy? All right, good. I'm on good ground then. But we find in Isaiah 59 that when the enemy comes in, not if he comes in, but when he comes in, and certainly he's going to come, and he's relentless in his efforts to warp the plan of God and the movement of the Spirit of God, and if he can just get somebody now preoccupied tonight with what you're going to do tomorrow, then he's already defeated you in the service tonight. Amen. So he's coming. So you got to keep your mind. You got to keep your mind sharp under that anointing in the spirit because he's coming in toward the movement of the spirit, no matter how that may be. Oh, and not just with sickness, not just with some major trial, but even in the service, get you preoccupied with what, oh, school's opening up this week. So I got to go get my pencil sharpeners and I got to go do this and I got to do that and I got to get my supplies and your mind's all wrapped around what you got to do tomorrow and you're missing the moving of the spirit. He's here tonight to raise a standard for you. So keep your mind in tune with the spirit tonight. But we find the devil loves to buffet you every chance that he gets. I like how Paul would tell us, and we know in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And that word buffet means to beat with a fist. So I want some of you young boys come up here and I'm going to let Brother Aaron beat you with his fist. Who said no? Well, then we'll let Brother Johnny. He's got bigger guns anyway. <clears throat> hey, the f- looking at those guns will make me run. But we find the devil is there to beat with the fist, to buffet, to maltreat, to treat with excessive force, Amen. to punish. He's not here passing out lollipops. He's not here like my mother does every service when, when she comes to church, giving my little daughter a bag of candy. That's not how he works. No, he's giving you a bag of fists. 
he's, he's buffing in you. He's punishing you. He's using excessive force. And he's causing affliction upon affliction. And the prophet of God will say in the message of experiences, he said the messenger of the devil, he said that word buffet there means to blow after blow after blow after blow after blow after blow. How many times you feel like, man, you can't get out of one trial without being right back into another trial. And if you're not really got one foot in the trial, he's there knocking you out of this trial into that trial. He thinks everything you do, every time you wake up, you're in one blow after another blow after another blow. I say, thanks be to God tonight. Amen. You say, what do you mean, thanks? I say, what that means to me is that the devil don't have you. If he's blowing at you and hitting you here and hitting you there, that goes to show that he don't have you and he's just trying to knock you off your pedestal. He's trying to knock you down and keep the moving of the Spirit of God away from you. So there was a messenger of the devil to buffet Paul. Blow after blow after blow. And the prophet of God would say, and I will admit, that God permits Satan sometimes to chastise us, that's true. But when that chastisement is through, you come back to God. God, your Father, will heal you, and that's right. So don't only apply it on healing, the supernatural deliverance, but apply it on every aspect of your life, whatever you're going through. And he's blowing, and he's hitting, and he's coming against you. You know that you can come back to God because God is always there. And God is going to fight your battle. God is going to raise that standard. And God will heal. God will deliver. God will see you through whatever you're going through. In the message testimony, he said, The theme of my revivals is this, declaring to the world that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And through every critic and every type of criticism that I know that Satan has led me with these statements that I'm giving Jesus Christ, he has done everything that I know could be done, speaking of, to try to overthrow it. But every time God has brought it out triumphant and won the victory every time. Amen. He says, check it, test it by the government agents everywhere, through nations. Every time I have a thorn in the flesh, an angel of Satan who knows or who follows and tries to buffet or beset but he's defeated in every case by the Holy Spirit. And God come out triumphant, winning hundreds and thousands to Christ in that time. So church tonight, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, the God that we serve, the God that declared that I will be with you, the God that said here, say unto them, do not be a fearful heart, but be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come, and when he comes, he's coming with vengeance. He's coming with force. He's coming to do what? To recompense your adversary for what he has put you through. It doesn't go unnoticed. God has taken notice of what the devil has done to you. Hey, God is raising a standard against it. God is elevating the bar to tell you, you're not alone, my child. You're not alone, my daughter. God knows your need, and God is here to raise you up and to lift you up above the situation. And notice, not one time has our God ever been defeated. Oh, it may look humanly what we saw we believed and we prayed for our sister Karen. And it looked maybe human that God failed us. God didn't fail us. God had a better plan. God had a better plan. Let me tell you, I trade places right now. Because where she's at is where we long to be. 
Where she's at is where we're headed to. But it may look like, well, she went down in the feet. No, she didn't go down in the feet. Because the Bible tells us faith is our victory. If you look in 1 John 5 and 4, it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And as Brother Tim so poetically put it the other night or the other day when he preached, she died a long time ago. When he was going through the church age study, that's where Karen Pruitt died. And that's where each of us have to get to that place where we die. Die out to our sin, sinful selves. Die out to our unbelief. Die out to everything and let God make us anew. So that we can have the same testimony. So that we can live up to the same level, the standard that has been set before us. So we find faith is our victory. In Isaiah 54 and verse 17, the Bible tells us so plainly, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. Now, how many of you, when you're faced a trial, do you remember this scripture? Not very many of us, do we? Man, you got got hit and beat by the devil's fist, and he's buffeting you and buffeting you. The last thing you can think about is no weapon. All you're trying to do is get this weapon off of me. But we find here, it may appear that Satan is winning the the battle and that his weapon against you, whatever that may be, is triumphant and it's beating you and and it's taking its toll on you. But no weapon that is formed against you is going to prosper. No weapon that Satan has put upon you tonight is going to be successful because the God that you serve and the God that's called you and the God that's anointed you and the God that's built you is raising up a standard tonight. He's lifting the bar, the anointing, pouring out his Holy Spirit, pouring out the supernatural to let you know you're not forsaken, little church. You're not just some beat down little nobody, but you're my pride. You're the apple of my eye, and I'm going to do whatever I got to do to pull you through it, and God will do that, and that right quick. God's not going to leave you stranded fighting your enemy. No weapon formed against you will prosper. The weapon of brain bleach tried and tried and tried several times to take the life of Karen Pruitt, but it was not successful. Amen. Brain bleach didn't take her. God took her and called her home. Brain bleach may have tried to cripple her life and humiliate her and put her in a hospital room, but she never once recanted her faith. She never once turned her back on God. So what does that tell you? It tells devil, you don't have enough. In the midst of the darkest hour, in the midst of the lowest moment, she remained faithful. The Pruitt family remained faithful. The church remained faithful. We remained faithful to what? To the call of God, to the word of God. So no weapon tonight that is pointed at you will be successful against you. The Bible would tell us in Hebrews The hall of faith, chapter 11, speaking of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. In verse 13, it says, all these died in faith. They all died in faith, not having received the promise. Not having received. But having seen it. Notice now, having seen it afar off, and they were persuaded of them. 
Notice what they did next. And they embraced them. They embraced the promises. They embraced the word of God. Died in faith, having not received, but were fully persuaded and embraced the promise. Is when they woke up that day, God was going to move. And we find here in Hebrews 11, verse 33, who through faith, notice now, or let me go back to 32, excuse me. And what shall I say more? For the time shall fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and the prophets. Notice, who through faith they subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of wickedness were made strong, waxed violent in fight, turned the flight of the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Wow, don't you, aren't you glad we got that in our heritage? Man, that means every day when I wake up, it's going to be like that. Man, I'm going to subdue kingdoms today. I'm going to write righteousness. I'm going to attain the promise. Man, let a lion roar against me, brother, and I'm going to shut his mouth up. But if you keep on reading, others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sown asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, having attained a good report through faith, received not the promise. And yet, God, having provided some better things for us in this hour, the finality of all history, of all time, God has provided us a better word than they ever had in any other age. Because now, not only do we have all the problems of the previous ages, we got all the blessings of the previous ages compounded down upon this age. So not only do you fight one of the greatest battles, but you get the greatest reward. So we find here God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. What am I telling you? I'm telling you tomorrow you you may wake up and you may subdue lions. You may subdue kingdoms. Or you may wake up and you may be wandering around in the mountain or on the deserts. You may be wandering in dens. You may be destitute. You may be afflicted. But it doesn't matter because God was with those that were victorious and God was with those that were in trial. God never left them. God was always there. And let me tell you, little church, even tonight, God is waiting on you and they are waiting on you. God is raising a banner and you are that banner. You are the standard in even tonight. You are the standard in Laodicea. God is lifting up the bar to tell you that someday there's going to be a crowning time. There's going to be a homecoming time. God's going to take his little bride home. Because somebody is waiting. The champion's on the other side. They're waiting on us. They're waiting on you to do what? To fulfill your role. To do your responsibility. Don't you worry about what you're going through. Know that God is raising the standard in this hour. God is elevating the word in this hour. Job 14 and verse 1. And some of us feel like this many days. Man that is born of a woman 
is of a few days and full of trouble. Feel like every day you wake up trouble. Go down to the store, trouble. Go to Walmart, trouble. Sometimes you even come to church, trouble. At least trouble on the way to church. Sometimes there's trouble in church. And we find here Adam was not born of a woman. And Adam lived 930 years. But the Adam that was born from woman was three score and ten. Few days. Just a few days. And Adam had trouble. This Adam, our Adam, we have trouble. There's days that we face lions. Then there's days we subdue kingdoms. We have great, great days, mountaintop experience. Then we have our valleys. We have our moments where we sink real low. And when you get to that low point, you got to know, and the prophet of God would say, be certain of God. When he lays there and he's quiet and he fails to move or appears that he doesn't move, appears that he's not listening, you got to be certain as a believer that God is there. So we find man that is born of a woman. We have difficult times on the earth because we bypassed the original plan of God due to the fall. We bypassed our theophanies. And now we're here as believers and we're full of trouble. Some of you, you know, I'm not even going to ask you because some of you live in a down moment. You got to find some people that are always negative. <clears throat> you got some people that are always high. You know, I wish I was that high person all the time. Thankfully, I'm kind of balanced. Whoop, 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 whoop. Don't laugh. If you're honest, you'd be right there with me. We're on the same roller coaster, a roller coaster of life. Some of us never get off the ground, though. I ain't getting on. I'm scared. I ain't getting on. No, that's the way. No. Supernatural. Uh-uh, not me. Don't you believe that conspiracy stuff? That coronavirus was created over there. And we just live on conspiracy. And, we, and negative, 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 negative. God is here to raise a standard. His word, this message, is the standard by which he's lifting up to a people. And let me tell you, if God has raised that bar for a people, God is going to raise a people to meet that bar. God's not going to set that bar to you young people. You young boys can't attain to it. There's going to be young boys that overcome pornography. There's going to be young girls that overcome fear and depression and suicide and anxiety. There's going to be people, sons and daughters of God in this age, in this church, that's going to raise up to the bar. And not only are we going to raise to the bar, but our bodies are going to be changed and we're going to go past the bar. We're going to go past the standard that was built here for three score and ten because these bodies one day are going to take a change. There'll be no more memorial services. There'll be no more tears shed. Psalms 34 and verse 19. As you turn there, we find, though, that we bypassed our theophany. And we as believers, we have good days, we have bad days, but nevertheless, God has always been there. And we know that Satan is going to attack. He's going to assault us each and every day. But thanks be to God, we have a Savior. We have a Redeemer. We have a Healer. We have a warrior God that fights for us. <clears throat> what we find here, the Bible will tell us, many are the afflictions of the righteous. So don't think when you're being buffeted that you're the only one. You're not the only one. Join the club. But I tell you what, what better club to be in when our captain is going before us? 
the captain of the host of the Lord, who's never lost a battle, who's never lost a subject, who's never lost a believer. Oh, church, what better company? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah, delivereth him out of them all. And that word affliction there means dysfunctional. Don't raise your hand. Because some of us come from dysfunctional families, dysfunctional lives. We got dysfunctional things that we have been through. But we find the word affliction, it means dysfunctional, wrong, evil, wicked, evil, distress, misery, injury, calamity, bad, unpleasant, and evil, giving pain, unhappiness, and misery. And we find that from the scriptures, man is of a few days and full of affliction, full of misery, full of heartache, full of distress. And then, you know, to cap it all off, Satan's there punching you. Man, I'm painting a pretty picture, aren't I? But God said when the enemy comes in, no matter how he comes, whether he comes in as a flood or whether he comes in at all, God is raising the standard. God has lifted the standard. Even like Tabernacle, we have been elevated. Not that this church is to be the model of all churches in the messes, but we're no longer on the backwoods in the piney woods of Louisiana back there where nobody could find us. What God is doing in the natural, he's also doing in the supernatural. God is elevating a people. God is elevating not just here in the flesh, but also in the supernatural. God is elevating a people that's going to attain to the word for this hour. We're going to get there. We're going to meet there. Not one of us, not one promise is going to go unfulfilled. Not one promise of God is going to go un, un, unacclaimed by the children of God. We are going to acclaim every promise because God has granted us. He wouldn't tell us it if he wasn't there to provide it for us. And if God has set the standard, then God is going to make sure that he equips the people to achieve the standard. Brother Brandon would tell us this in gifts. He said, and just as I start to do something for God, then expect all guns in hell to turn right on me. All right, so we got a new family at the church. Get ready. God ain't going to make it pleasant. But he's brought you here to raise the standard. So when you make your mind, young person, to serve God. All guns in hell are going to be trained on you. He says, now I pray for me because I need, he says, now I pray for me because I need, I realize that every time faith sets itself up, the devil turns every gun in hell right on it like that, you see. So it makes it pretty hard. Man, he's got iPhones, he's got widgets and gadgets. Man, you say you're going to serve God, you came to the altar and you got victory over it and all of a sudden you go back the next day and you're all by yourself. Mama done went to Walmart to buy some groceries. You pull that little phone out and you done found your little widget way to get in there and look up some bikinis and this, that, and the other. All guns in hell are trained on you. Trained on you are you saying, living what you're proclaiming. And if you're not, it's an easy fix. It's called dying out. He says, now that's right. He's a, 
Brother Bam, let me go back and go tell. He said, because the message is right, because God sent the message, because God sent the messenger, no doubt that every gun in hell will be firing at him. That's right. He'll stumble and fall and get up and shake his head and go on. So you may stumble tonight. You may fall tonight, but don't stay in a fallen condition. Get up, shake your head, and get back into the battle and know that God is on your side. Know that God is drawing you. Know that God is pulling you. Know that God wants more for you than just drifting through life and being a piece of driftwood hanging up on every little crook and corner that you can go by. No, God is calling you to be a real article, a real son and daughter of God. Be a live voice in this hour. If he said in the word or he said through a prophet that this bride is going to be the final voice to the final age and somebody's got to raise up to be the voice and begin to speak what God's word declared. That means that down with pornography, down with fear, down with anxiety, down with depression, down with anything that's unlike God, and up with the word of God, up with the supernatural, up with the speaking in tongues, up with the presence of God, up with the dancing in the spirit, up with the body change, up with the rapture. I say, take us up, Lord. Take us up in the fears of God. Take us up into the heavenly places. That's where we're destined to sit. That's our position. That's our place in the body. God, lift us up. Raise the standard tonight for us as your believer. And a message testimony. Now, as I told y'all before, I'm a lover and a fighter. Brother Johnny, I used to love to fight. But you know what? God didn't take the fight out of me. He just channels it. And he says here in the message testimony, you got to fight for every inch of ground that you have. Every man in here that's born again of the Spirit of God knows that you've had to fight for every inch of ground. Totem mark with Satan. Isn't that right? He says, friends, this is not a picnic. You go and you find a nice pretty spot in the shade, shake out your little blanket, because heaven forbid you get grass on you, and you get your little basket, you start pulling out your food. Oh, let's say grace. This ain't no picnic. Come on, I, don't, I don't know where you're living, but I'm not picnicking. Amen. It's a stinking battle. Yes, sir. He says now, he says, it's not a picnic. This is a battleground. See, we never come here to eat cookies. You thought Brother Joe was just the only one, huh? But the prophet of God, we didn't come here to eat cookies. No, we're in a battle. So if you don't want to fight, go home. If you're afraid of the battle, go home. Like Gideon, send them on home. Because what God's going to do, he's going to do with true born-again believers. God wants those that are dedicated to the call. God wants those that are not wimpy. God wants those that are determined. No matter what they face, who they face, how they face it, they are not afraid. They're in a battleground. And they're prepared to battle. He said, notice now, he says now, he's promised to meet you on every battleground. That's right. And he will bless. So then, what's your hope? Or where's your hope? See, I've seen many temptations. Tell me one Christian. Oh, let me go back. Excuse me. The message is redemption by judgment. He says, you'll get to a place you say, well, Brother Bill, I have so many temptations. How many of you got many temptations? 
Well, I got one believer here. The rest of y'all are faking it tonight, huh? We face temptations every day. He says, oh, I got so many temptations. He says, tell me one Christian that doesn't have temptation. We never come to a picnic. We come to a battleground. We're out here in a fight to fight the enemy. Why? Sure. We don't put on our armor just to be looked at. You know, sometimes I play around. I'm goofy. Yeah, I get it. Sometimes with just me and my kids, I put my suit on. Man, I start walking the dog. Y'all don't know what that means, do you? I think I'm some runway model. But what he's telling us is we ain't putting this suit on to walk some runway. No. He's dressed you with this word to fight. He's prepared you and equipped you, and he's dressed you in the best that he could put you in, which is his word. And it's not just to sit in the mirror, oh, I look like a Christian. I got long hair, I don't, wear, I don't wear splits, I don't do this, I don't do that, my pants don't sag, I got a nice, my haircut is right, I look right. No, he's not concerned about that. What he's concerned about, are you fighting? Are you in fight mode? He's giving you the word to dress yourself, to prepare yourself to be victorious while you're in the battle. You know that the United States Army, when, they, when a young man goes into the Army and he's in boot camp and they put a 90-pound pack on him and he's got all this stuff in his pack and you just think, poor little mama's going, oh, my little Johnny, he's going to die. He's going to kill him. He's got that pack on. He's got combat boots on. And look at that stupid little shovel. What, is he, how, what kind of hole is he going to dig with this? But you know everything that's in that pack, the Army knows exactly what that soldier needs to survive. If that soldier is out there and he ain't got no food in that pack as MREs, he's got enough to last him weeks if it calls for it. And I'm telling you, and God has prepared his sons and his daughters in this hour. You may feel like you're taking a heavy load and that pack on your back is weighing you down. But let me tell you, church, life, God knows what you have need of. That trial that you're going through, what is God doing? God is shaping you into a mighty warrior. God is allowing that to, fold, to mold you and to shape you for the battle because we are in a battle. And let me tell you, I plan on being victorious. I can't stand losing. And I didn't get in this battle to lose. But I got in this battle with Brother Aaron, Brother Tim, Brother Timothy, and you sons and daughters of God to be victorious. God has called us to be winners. God has called us to be overcomers and more than conquerors. Don't lay your sword down. Don't throw that pack off. Say, thank you, Lord. I got my pack. Now help me hold it. Help me shoulder the load. Help me keep focused. Help me keep pushing forward. Lord, guide my steps. Hold my hand. Don't leave me back here, God. Lift me up another inch. I'm prepared to fight. First Corinthians 10 and verse 3. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able to bear, that you're able. But will with the temptation also make a way of an escape that you may be able to bear. See, God doesn't leave you where you are. God raises a standard against the enemy so that you're victorious. And no matter what battlefront you're facing, you're going to be victorious. See, we have a promise. We have a promise that there's many temptations, 
There's many afflictions. But he will deliver out of them all. We may go by the way of the grave, but it does not mean that the enemy was victorious. It means that God had another plan for your life. God knows the number of days. He knows the number of breaths you're going to take. He knows the number of beats your heart is going to beat. And God knows and he's equipped you to face every trial, every battle, every sickness, everything you're going through. God has equipped us in this hour. What other age has had the most glorious message that we have today? This is a translation message. And God is about to translate sons and daughters of God. He said, Christians sometimes, in the message of redemption by judgment, Christians sometimes look down, they're looked down upon and made fun of, but we come as a warrior. We come sprinkled in the blood. The old rugged cross going before us, the morning star lighting up the way. Why? We're on the road somewhere. Don't care what the world says. Well, it's what God said. The field belongs to us. God said so. We're on the road. If we get knocked out of the battle here, if this earthly, earthly tabernacle is gone, we got another one already waiting. There's nothing to be scared about. And we find in Romans 8 and verse 31 says, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Oh, let, when you wake up in the morning, won't you quote that scripture to the devil? If you're against me this morning, why do I care? Because God is for me this morning. God is my help. God is my hope. God is my stay. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is it that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Amen. And my, probably one of my favorite scriptures, who shall separate us? Right. Who? What? What trial? What spirit, what demon possession or oppression, no matter what you're going through, who shall be able to separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall tribulation, shall distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed. That word killed there means we're exposed to death. We endure sufferings equivalent to dying every day. All the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor present things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Though we are exposed to death, though we endure sufferings of equivalent that are equivalent to dying, yet you're more than a conqueror. Amen. I said you're more than a conqueror. Amen. You look in the mirror when you get up and you see a frail body, you see a battle-scarred, weary soul. Amen. But God sees more than a conqueror. Amen. God sees a mighty warrior. God sees somebody that he's implanted his seed in. And no matter what they face, who they face, when they face, how they face, they are going to be victorious. That's what God sees. So the battle may rage, but church, you'll not be defeated. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can separate us from his mercies. And nothing can separate us from his presence. 
there's not one thing that you face that the enemy can separate you from our God. And God, every time that enemy comes in, he raises a standard. And he raises it in you to meet the challenge of the hour. He raises your faith another notch to do what? To combat the enemy that you're facing. He done it with the pale horse, the red horse, the white horse, and the black horse. Every time one of those spirits came, what did he do? He raised a standard. He had something not equivalent, but more power, more word, more anointing, more power, the presence of the Lord to combat that spirit. And God has not ceased to be God today. He's still the same. And I love what Brother Bam says. He goes, oh, the glorious part, every once in a while, he'll give us a bunch of grapes, a big bunch of grapes, so that we can have evidence that there is a land beyond the river. Let me bring this to a close, or start trying to bring it to a close. We find that in the greatest battle ever fought, and I know this is a message that we know all too well, but he said there had to be a mutual meeting place, and the mine was the battleground, was the place that was chosen, because that's where the decisions are made. That's where Satan meets you, and decisions are made there, because God made man that way. He said the, man, the mind accepts the life, which is the word of God, and there brings that life. See, just your thoughts don't do it. So you can't just imagine yourself or think yourself and try to have mind over matter, but no, your mind accepts that, and then it grabs hold of it, and then it brings it down into your soul or to your heart, and then that's where life is given. So it's got to come from the mind down to the heart or into the soul. But he said, see, the mind accepts the life, which is the word of God, and there brings the life. Just your thoughts don't do it, see, but the word of God brought in the channel of your thought. It's not the thought as Christian science make its mind over matter, but your mind accepts it. It grasps it. What is your mind controlled by? Your spirit, and your spirit catches the word of God, and that's the thing that's got life in it, and it brings life into you. So when you hear the word go forth, you're not just receiving it with your mind, though it comes through the channel of your mind, but your spirit catches it, and it brings that life, it brings that anointing, it brings that word into you, and what does it do? It equips you for the battle. See, he says, now, if you abide in me and my word in you, then ask what you will, because you and the word are the same. That's right. So when God is elevating the standard, he's elevating you, because you are the word. Essentially, even like Tabernacle and those that are on stream, those that are real born again sons and daughters of God, you have become the word in flesh, and God has lifted that standard up. God has lifted that standard up, and God has put it on display. He is not afraid to back up his word, and he's not afraid to back up his word in you, to make this word live and flow from your life. However, whenever, whoever he wants it to. God is not ashamed of our services. He's not ashamed of the outpouring of the Spirit when sons and daughters begin to get emotional. And I just listened to a tape this morning, and Brother Bam said, I like emotion. I'm a, I'm a, I mean, paraphrase, but I'm heavy on the side of emotion. So all those that don't believe that the prophet of God was emotional, you need to go back and listen to the tapes. Because that was from the message. It wasn't so from the beginning. 1958, you'll find that the prophet of God enjoyed emotion. He enjoyed service. He enjoyed to worship God and the reciprocation of the spirit coming back to say amen to the worship. Yes, sir. 
So we find now, if you abide in me and my word, which you become the word, the word and you are the same. He has preeminence. He's got the rulership in you. You become his prisoner. He says, so from the middle of the heart, which is the soul, from there goes forth, feeding every channel. The trouble of it is we're standing in a lot of doubt. Sometimes, you know, you want to believe, but there's so much doubt just there. But he says, you got to blow out all the flues. you got to clean it all out so that the word can drop down. Otherwise, if you don't clean those flues out, you're going to blow up. And you find people get off. Oh, they served the Lord 20 years, but all of a sudden now they don't believe anymore. Because they had flues in there they didn't clean up. They didn't blow out. They had little doubts that were unsettled. Little things that just kept, you know, they kept pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. Trying to believe. Wanting to believe. Oh, it makes regional, rational sense to believe that this is the truth message. But unless it becomes from the mind to the heart, and you don't clean that thing out so that it becomes a reality, and the life that's, anoint, that's in that word becomes from your mind and drop down into that heart and produces that same life in you, you're going to blow up. So it's got to be accepted in the mind, believed in the heart. Then the word of God becomes a reality. Then every sense of the soul, body is just scoured out with the Holy Spirit. Then your senses of God, your conscience of God, everything that's godly flows to you. There's no doubt anywhere. He says there's nothing can rise up. Amen. If you're here this evening and there's doubts in your life, know that the battleground is there. It was drawn. You had no choice in the matter. God chose the battleground, but he's also equipped you to receive life in the midst of your battle. And how do you receive it? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Don't allow yourself to drift off in la-la land when the anointing and the presence of the Lord is here to do what? To say, grab hold of that word, because in that word has life, eternal, life-changing, body-changing life. To transform you from an earthly tabernacle to an eternal tabernacle. He says now, as I begin to try to, sorry, I just got so much hay on my fork this morning or this evening rather. He says, but if that channel has been cleared out and been purged and been filled inside with the Holy Spirit. That don't even come into the memory. He's talking about Miss Doe, Miss John Doe. You know, she tried this and she tried that and she failed. He said, that don't even come into memory no matter who Miss Jones or about Miss Jones, what she did, it's you and God together and nobody else but you two. There you are. There's your battle. Kill him at the beginning. Some of you like to pacify your devil. Here, I got a pacifier. I'll stick it in his mouth. I'll tote him around. He'll go everywhere I go as long as he hushes up. No. He said, kill him at the beginning. Stop him dead in his track. He says, it ain't how long you make the war linger. It's stop it right now. And if you're being persecuted, you're being pressured, and that little nagging devil follows you to church, I'll tell you tonight, stop it right now. Kill him in this service tonight. Don't walk out and think, oh, I'm going to be a better Christian tomorrow, and you hadn't dealt with your devil. Deal with your devil in the presence of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and let God fight your battle. Let God destroy your enemy. Let God put on those clothes of vengeance, and let God pour out wrath on that adversary that's trying to take you down. So no matter if 10,000 die on this side today, he says, we're trusting. 10,000 die on that side tomorrow, we're trusting. That has nothing to do with me. I'm the individual. I'm the one that's trusting. 
I'm the one that believes. But the devil will try to come back right and get you there at all. See, he's got your army. If he gets back, if he comes back and he says, if he can get in there, then he's got your army routed. So if your seed, taste, smell, feel, and hear doesn't line up with the word, he says, put it aside. Remember your imagination, conscience, affections. Those things don't line up to the word. Put those things aside. See, but when God can get a man in his hands till he gets all the senses, conscience, everything cleaned out until it stands with God behind it in the spirit, there's not a devil in the world can poke a doubt in there then. And that's what, our, that's what we preach at this church. That's what we preach. That's what we aspire to preach. Don't let doubt come and rob you. Don't let complexes come and rob you. Don't let fear come and rob you. Don't let the devil in any kind of method, any kind of trick or trickery that he comes with, don't let him rob you. You're in a battle, but God has equipped you for the battle. God has equipped you for the battle. See, there's your battleground. Your battleground is back here at the beginning, back here in the soul, back in your mind. That opens. The mind is a gate to the soul, the gate to the spirit, rather. Your mind opens up and accepts the spirit or rejects the spirit. So it's your mind that opens up the door or closes the door. See, but when your mind closes itself to those things and let God, the spirit of his word, come in, it blows the rest of the stuff out. Every doubt is gone. Every fear is gone. Every sensation of doubt is gone. Every feeling is gone. There's nothing standing there but the word of God. And Satan cannot battle against it. Amen. No, sir. He can't battle against it now. He says, now know that that's the truth. So you got to say, like Brother Branham says, start doubting your doubts. Sometimes we find that hard, but start doubting your doubts. As we bring this to a close here, and I want to get to a certain part. He says, we fight in the message victory day. We fight it every day. Every Christian fights a battle every day. We're in a warfare right now going on constantly within us. How many can testify to that? Between right and wrong, shall we receive it? What shall we do? These are some of the battles. Shall we receive it? What shall we do? Shall we bow to the world? Shall we give up to this thought that we got? He goes now. You got to focus it. Take it from Genesis to Revelation she is thus saith the Lord each time right down through there. He says, we can't give it up. We can't compromise with the rest of them. He said, we just, we can't do it. We got to stay here. That's all. No matter how great the enemy is, how much machinery he's got against us, how many organizations, how many of this or any of the other. He says, we yet, we have pulled the focus of God's word till we find that it's the one thing, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you're in a battle tonight and you're losing focus, that's why you come to the presence of the Lord to refocus so that you can focus back on that. His blood is still effectual, and it's efficacious. And it endures. And it's lasting. And he said, the captain, <clears throat> the captain give an order, and you turn around and do something backwards, why, well, you'll mess the whole army up. That's right. You'll throw it right into a riot. You've got to carry out the orders. Amen. The only way you can do it is to focus it and see the purpose, what it's all about. We've had many great battles, spiritual battles. 
Many great V-days that the church has made or had. I mean the church, the body of Christ. I'm not talking about the organization systems now. He goes, I'm talking about the body of Christ, the body of believers down through the ages has had many great V-days. So you have to carry out the orders. You can't get the orders. Well, I don't like them. Well, tough luck. You're not the captain. You're the little peon, little private that enlisted. So you got to carry out the orders. Do what he says because he knows what's best for you. That captain has reared himself. He's gone through the ranks. He understands what it takes to keep his man safe. As I was talking to one of the men, one of the Marines that came here for Nathan's funeral, and he's a high-ranking captain now, and, and I was asking him, you know, kind of what they went through in the war that they faced when they all went in, and he said, our number one responsibility and what gives us so much grief and keeps us up at night and causes PTSD it's not, it's not the people that we killed, but it's the ones around us that were killed. Because their ultimate responsibility is the safety of their men. And if they lose one, that burden, that pressure is on their shoulders. Because then there's a letter that goes to that family. Thank you for the service. Your son died in battle. So they know the orders. They know how to give the orders. They know what it takes to be successful and to not only be successful and to accomplish the task, but to save every life that's in the military or in that regiment. So it's upon us, church, when you hear things being preached from the pulpit on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever it may be, a special meeting, and the captain is giving orders, well, that's just their thought. No, that ain't just their thought. That's the captain equipping you for battle so that you'll make it through Laodicea. What is he doing? He's raising the standard. And then he's not only raising it, but he's giving you the equipment so that you'll raise with it. As I bring this to a close, Isaiah 59 and verse 17, he put on righteousness as the breastplate, the helmet of salvation upon his head, garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands, he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory shall from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. That word standard there, it means so many things. A lot of people want to... You know, they got so many ways, but since they're not here preaching to you tonight, and I am, I'm going to look at it from the aspect of a standard is a flag that hangs on a pole. Oh, man, that's just simple. I thought it was going to be something just supernatural. The standard, God's raising up a flag, not just a flag. See, the standard is... The Bible would tell us that it's a flag on a pole. It's a standard. It's an ensign. It's a banner. And there are many times that the enemy comes in. And every time he comes, God raises the flag. What does he raise the flag for? So that when you're in the midst of a hailstorm of bullets coming your way, you can see that he's still going before you. The standard 
has been lifted. The standard is still waving. Oh, they thought when 1965 when the prophet of God went off the scene, maybe the standard had fallen. But if you do any kind of study of civil war, that flag to that regiment was the identity of the regiment. Those flags symbolize more than just some cloth and a pole. But no, it meant so much more. Let me just kind of kind of go through and show you what when that flag there, it meant the colors, it helped the soldiers identify their troop in battle. Maybe there's a bunch of smoke all around, but yet when they see that flag lifted up, they see that's where my men are, and they can rejoin their troop. See, the color bearer, our color bearers or the standard bearers, what did they do? They, they set the pace of the march. Otherwise, they set the tone for church. And you think it's all on Brother Mike, Brother Timothy. No. You're the standard bearer. We're setting the tone for how we worship at Evening Light Tabernacle. So they set the cadence. They set the proper length. The color bearers, they didn't carry a weapon. No, and it increased their likelihood of being killed. See, these soldiers were chosen for their bravery and their steadiness. They were chosen, handpicked by the captain because of their bravery. God, or the captain, looked in there and said, that's who I want. Because I know when the battle's going, there's no retreat. Whether they have a gun or not, they're holding the standard. They're holding the standard. There's a story about a sergeant. I believe it was, um, let me go and I'll find it for you real quick. It's a battle here. It's called Cutler's Brigade. of uh, The 147th New York was among some of the first Union infantry regiments to arrive near the McPherson Farm. And I'm sure Brother Ross and Brother Aaron is going to correct me on this, and that's quite all right. But there are 380 New Yorkers crossed the Chambersburg Pike, and they formed up near the bed of the unfinished railroad cut. And we find that these regiments, with two other sister regiments, engaged in sharp, a sharp firefight with the Confederate Army. And the 155th North Carolina worked its way around the right flank of the Union line, and they poured in a murderous fire. Orders were sent forward directing the troops to fall back to a more secure position. But the commander of the 147th was severely wounded before they could transmit the command to his men. And as a, res as a result, the New Yorkers stood alone against three Confederate regiments. And the fight was fierce and hot. The boys were falling like autumn leaves. The air was full of lead. After half an hour of this unequal conquest, the courier rode in as a maelstrom. And, or Maelstrom, and he delivered the retreat order. And Color Sergeant John Hincliffe, who was a very uh, distinguished soldier, he attempted to escape with the flag, and he was struck by several bullets, and he was, he was killed instantly. And Sergeant William Wyborn rushed back, and he pulled the blood-soaked standard from underneath Hincliffe's lifeless body. He could have let us lay there. He could have just let us, oh, man, we're going to retreat. I'm getting out of here before I'm next. But no, he ran to the lifeless soldier, picked up the standard, and raised it again. 
And they would go on to say, he said, now, Lieutenant Pierce narrated the remarkable, remarkable conclusion of the incident. I climbed up to the rocky face of the cut on the south side. I made my way with many of our men across the meadow between the railroad cut and Chambers, Chambersburg's pike. And I crossed the pike into a small peach orchard and I overtook the colors in the hand of Sergeant William Wyburn. Just as I joined him, to re he received a shot, and he fell on the colors as if dead. And I tried to remove the colors, but he held on them with a true Irish grit. And I commanded him, let go. And to my surprise, he answered, hold on. I'll be up in a minute. Amen. Said he staggered to his feet, and he carried them through the fight and he was commissioned for his courage. And I will say this to Even Life Tabernacle, to the Pruitt family, to the Butts family, and to those that are listening on the internet tonight. Sergeant Wyborn rose to his feet and he lifted the standard once again. And what did it do? It rallied the troops that they made it through the battle. And I'm here to tell you, Even Life Tabernacle may have suffered a blow, but their sons and daughters of God holding on to that standard. Hold on a minute. I'll be back up in a minute. We may have taken a blow, but their standard has been raised. Even like Tabernacle, all those died in faith, but we're still believing. We're still trusting God. We're still waving that banner that God has a people. God has a word. God has healing. God has deliverance. God has a supernatural. God has the anointing. God has a presence. God has speaking in tongues. God has dancing in the spirit. God has the standard has been lifted. And you are that standard. I say arise, people, and claim that promise. God, thank you for the call in this hour. Thank you for raising the standard. Thank you for calling me into the battle. Thank you, Lord. You saw me under attack. You saw the bullets that I hit. You saw it, Lord. But I'm here to raise the standard once again. Even tonight, we're not backing up. We're not giving in. We're not bowing to the devil. We're pressing the battle. We're marching forward. We're trusting God. Musicians, come. The standard has been lifted. The life of Mary Karen Pruitt was nothing short of a life of Christ being lifted up in this hour, proving that God will have somebody that will believe the word. No matter what the opposition, no matter what they face, no matter the difficulty, her life proved that God will have a virtuous daughter. She never wavered in her sickness, never recanted in her devotion to serve God, no matter how bad the condition, never faulted in her faith. She died in faith, and that faith proved to be her victory. A standard being waved over Laodicea. What you thought to bring evil, God turned it for her coronation day. What you thought, Satan, to knock her down, and she was knocked down, but now the rest of us have picked the standard up, and we're raising the standard. What about the Pruitt Butts family? 
What we've seen in their life, as I marveled at Brother Tim and I told him on countless occasions, what we have seen from you is nothing short of a display of true faith, true grit. In the face of the enemy, breathing down your neck, his threatening lies, threatening to take your wife, you steady and you can continually preach divine healing, preach deliverance. Never showed weakness in the face of the church, in the face of the, the enemy. But he showed the resolve. What was he doing? Raising a standard, even a light. So when you face your enemy, when you face your adversary, you don't have to shed a tear, but you can face him with true grit, true faith, true resolve, that your God is going to see you through every battle. A husband, a pastor, proclaiming God's eternal word. You can just play something. The eternal word that God heals, whether it be on this side or whether it be on beyond the curtain of time, God is still the healer. What has been displayed here at Evenlight Tabernacle is a standard has been lifted. The word of God in the Pruitt family. And now, even light, it's time for us to measure up. In the face of adversity, losing a mom, losing a wife, losing a friend, never waver, never faulting, never saying, why me? The standard has been lifted. I'm not saying that Karen Pruitt's the standard of the message, but though she is, because that's what the message produces. I'm not saying... Tim Pruitt and the Pruitt family is a standard that we all got to live by, but yet it's been displayed, so it gives you something to live by, to measure up to. See, no matter how hot the battle becomes, no matter how dark the situation, remain positive. Hold to the promise. Because we never know when that eagle anointing is going to turn our way and deliverance will be our promise. So what we have seen is true faith, true leadership, true love, and true Christianity being displayed in man's darkest hour. The standard. The standard. The standard has been lifted. And now we got to achieve. Let me finish with these last couple quotes. He said, when the enemy comes in like a flood, as is coming today, what did God say he'd do? He said the Spirit of God would raise up a standard against it. And he says, are you one of them? So he's showing that you, believer, are the standard by which he's raising up in this hour. And the message to take on the whole armor of God, he said, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the whole, he said, the Spirit of God raises a standard against it. What does he do? He makes the word that he's already said more positive. Taking his same word and just making it more positive. See, the word of God will raise up a standard. The word will be more manifested and more manifested. And from that time, he says, and as the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God raises a standard against it. Greater and greater and greater building up now it's right down to this last thing, what I was talking about last night. Oh, I believe that he will come. I believe that these old frail bodies of ours will be changed and made like unto his own 
glorious body. So you may be in a battle today. You may be staring at the enemy face to face, standing toe to toe, and you may be wondering, how am I going to make it? Can I make it? Will I make it? Will I survive? Let me encourage you. When the enemy comes in, he threatens you as a ravenous, raging stream full of hate and venom and things. God's going to make that word in your life more positive. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in that flood. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in that attack, that is in that sickness, that is in that fear, that is in that anxiety, that is in that depression. Greater is he. He is in you, and he has elevated that standard. God bless you, church. Amen. Brother Mike. Not giving up. Oh, I'm not turning around. And by the grace of God, I'll wear a shining crown someday. And I'll keep holding on. Oh, to that nail star head. I'm not giving up. No, I'll keep. Oh, see it again. It's father.